welcome back to The Lifted Podcast. I'm Helen Denham, your host, and this is a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co-creators. So before we get into it today, I am so curious to know if you know what your human design type is. I finally did my research yesterday and figured out what human design even means. So basically, it's this logical system that brings together quantum physics, your chakras, your astrology, and a few other teachings to basically reveal this genetic design and code that you're born with. And it helps us better understand how we perform and how we live our lives. And it can help us live in a more authentic way when we really get to know ourselves on this kind of level. So there's basically four types. Uh, You can either be a manifester, a generator, a projector, or a reflector. So I happen to be a projector and I just learned so many interesting things and it validated so much about what I've been experiencing and just gave me a lot of clarity. So I hope I can get somebody on soon to talk to us about human design in its entirety uh, because I'm only a day in and I'm so curious already. Also wanted to do a little hashtag shout out that there are a couple new blog posts up on my website. It's HelenDenham.com. I just did one on grounding and there's a little mindfulness practice in there to keep you grounded. And I also did one on intuitive eating, which I wrote after my discussion with Chloe, who you are about to hear. So let's just get right into it. Um, I am obsessed with Chloe. I had such a good time talking to her and I'd actually never met her, but when we sat down, I just felt like I could completely be myself. I actually felt like I was with a cousin or a close friend with her already. Um, And basically Chloe is a diet recovery coach. She's so much more than that, but she really primarily helps women recover from, you know, self-harming tendencies and unhealthy relationships with food so that we can really understand how to get back in tune with our bodies, get back in tune with nature and our nourishment and really reprogram so much of the stuff that society has put in us. So I hope you guys enjoy. I love talking to her and here we go. So the first thing I love to ask people is how you start your day off and what kind of morning routines or rituals that you have if you have any. Nice. Um, I'm definitely a very habitual person, especially just when it comes to my morning routine. Um, but basically I just, I love to spend that time with me. I hate looking at my phone right in the morning. I hate having to be anywhere before at least like 11 o'clock. So even in like college and stuff like that, all of my classes, I would take like one o'clock on um, just because I want like me time in the morning. So I wake up, I mean, the classic, I drink water, brush my teeth, do all that. But the first thing I do is I put on my shoes and I do something. Either that's going to the gym, yoga, or going on a beach walk. I live right next to the beach. So I move my body and then I come back and I have breakfast. And that's pretty much every single day. Love that. And do you usually have the same thing for breakfast or what do you like to eat in the morning? Oh no, I'm way too intuitive for that. Um, I hate eating the same thing. Absolutely hate it. I hate having leftovers. So every single day, it really is just what I'm feeling like. And 
you know, breakfast may be at eight o'clock some days. It may be pushed until 11. It just depends. It really depends. Breakfast can be, I have home, um, home chickens. So it could be some fresh eggs with some nice like sourdough toast with like avocado or spinach. Um, or it could be an acai bowl. Um, so I'm very varied in what I like to eat. Again, I'm just very intuitive and I like listening to what I what I feel like. Because I found that when I don't do that, digestion is going to be off. So if I come into the kitchen and I used to do this for years, I thought that eating fruit for breakfast was a bad thing. I thought that I needed to get more vegetables in. So I was like, hey, I got to get in like 15 vegetables a day. So no fruit. I'm going to have Brussels sprouts and broccoli for breakfast. And... I would always crave fruit, but I would tell myself, I can't have this. I can't have this. And my digestive system honestly sucked during those years. I was so bloated, had so much fiber in my system. I didn't really like what I was eating. So I started just like stuffing it down while I was wanting something else and fantasizing about something else. And I don't know, one day I didn't have any vegetables for breakfast. And my sister had this beautiful pineapple on... Um, the counter. And I was like, Oh, that smells so good. But I was like, don't do it. Don't do it. But I was like, no, but the fruit looks good. So I opened up the pineapple and I had it. And I was like, <laughs> what have I been doing? Fruit is amazing. Instantly from that day, my digestion felt great. So here's my thing. As long as I listen to my digestive and digestive system and what I want, I eat that because I know if I go against it, I'm not going to be a happy person. Yeah, absolutely. And how do you feel like you are able to tap into your intuition like that? Because I think so many of us are programmed to think we need to have breakfast at this time of the day. We need to be eating this. How did you come about trusting your intuition a little bit more? Um, this radical thing called listening. <laughs> And so many people don't do it in this day and age. We are constantly bombarded by things coming at us. So much information, so much stimulation um, that we're never really just tuning in and really just listening to our body and what it likes. And so that really is the journey of becoming an intuitive eater is getting rid of all phone and TV and things that can distract you while you're eating and really listening especially in those times where you binge eat, overeat, or feel bad. And those are the times, especially when we like to run away, we like to numb out on Netflix right after we numbed out on a thing of ice cream because it's like going from one numb to the other. And how I sort of... I used to have a history of binge eating and how I sort of broke that was by leaning into it and really listening to my body and being like, okay, this is what eating a tub of ice cream feels like. Mm. No distraction, actually feel it. This is what it feels like. And it became so easy then the next night to be like, whoa, I know what that feels like. I'm not going to do that tub of ice cream again. Like I felt that pain. Mm. Um, So it's a long journey. It's a process of just continually being open to really non-judgmentally listening to your body and what it, what it says. And why do you think that we tend to overeat, especially as an American society? Like, what is that? Why do we binge eat like this? Because so many people have an issue with it. Mm, It really depends. I actually just wrote a post on Instagram about this the other day. Um, I pinpointed three different reasons. 
One, I really want to call out because this is, especially in my line of work, I work with people who have been chronic dieters their whole life, orthorexia, anorexia, disordered eating, um, restricting. Mm -hmm. And it's so funny because people go, oh, but I overate. So now I like shouldn't eat food and I'm such a bad person. And I go, no, your body is smart. It's really smart for binge eating at night because you gave it no food during the day and we need food to survive. So I see that a lot of women are binge eating at night simply because they're skipping breakfast, they're skipping lunch, they're skipping out on their calories. They get to the end of their night and their body is craving food. So it's an evolutionary response. And that's really hard to fight this thing that has been wired in us for millennia to eat to survive. Um, so I think that that is one of the biggest reasons is this subconscious or conscious restriction of food throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And I love, I read that post and I love that you talk about relating our self-worth to food and placing our worth on our food. Can you talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. Um, I think diet culture has really pushed on us this idea of good food, bad food, and i.e. that sort of turns into good person, bad person. Um, we've given morals to food, which is really weird. Um, a food is not innately morally good or bad. And you are not a sinful person for eating food. But diet culture has really promoted this oh, you're such a good person, you're a successful person, you're productive, you're sexy, you're this and this and this, if you restrict your food or if you eat celery or a salad instead of having what you really wanted, which might've been a sandwich or um, a curry or whatever it is. Um, and so I think a lot of women are just really getting caught in this idea of, oh, it's bad to eat those type of foods. And if mm -hmm. I want to be a good, perfect little wife or a good, perfect little, you know, woman in this world, I need to follow these rules of eating just perfect, clean food that's not going to make me gain weight or that is quote unquote clean and pure. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. I'm like, there's yes. a lot more too that I can like yeah. dive into that, but... That makes a lot of sense. From my experience too, it was, I've, I've had disordered eating in so many different ways. And it was a lot about making myself smaller and feeling more attractive because I'm a really tall person. Like I'm five, nine, which is pretty tall for a girl. So for, from the beginning, it was about making myself feel smaller and more up to societal standards, as well as exhibiting control. Like if I can be this skinny, it shows that I have control in my life. And then it turned into this backfiring because the more control that I wanted and the more restriction, the more stressed I would get, which would cause me to binge eat. So it's like this crazy cycle. Well, and what's crazy is that that moment that you said right there, um, that moment of sort of like you're walking into the coffee shop and it's sort of like, haha, everyone, they're so lazy. They're so weak. They're eating croissants for breakfast. Like all I need is my black coffee. And it sort of gives us this sense of pride. This like, oh yeah, I am defeating humanity <laughs> almost. Like I'm defying my body and what it needs. Um, and we do, we see it as a, I'm greater than thou type of thing. And we get a high off of that. 
Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, like you mentioned, that does not last. And then we end up having a lot of problems and it becomes sort of an obsession after. Um, but I think that's where a lot of us sort of get caught into it. And I definitely remember feeling this, but like, oh, I'm so good. I don't need to touch the bread basket when we go out and I don't have to have dessert. Look at me. I have control. I'm so great. And that's dangerous. It's really dangerous because it's a slippery slope into the disordered eating. Absolutely. So following kind of the flip side of that. So in allowing ourselves to have freedom with food and a loving relationship with food, how do we also avoid going overboard and going into an unhealthy pattern on the flip side where we're so uncontrolled that we're not really paying close attention to what we're eating? How do we find this balance between the two so that we're being healthy at the same time? Yeah, I do want to say that for girls who are listening who, or boys, um, who have dealt with a past eating disorder and who have restricted for a long time, I'm not going to lie, you're going to go to the other extreme. That's just, it's part of the process. It's part of healing. And that's almost what you need to do. Your body needs to feel like it is safe and that food is around. Um, so you may for a while, yeah, once you start eating again after a severe eating disorder or chronic dieting, you know, you're restricting yourself, you go to food. And unfortunately, because you did this thing called restriction, you are going to go a little overboard. But I don't want to say that to ignite fear in people, but it's just sort of the reality of what it is. Now, after your body knows that food is around and that you will give it food, that's when you can come back into this balance. Mm -hmm. Um, And that again is going to come to the listening and the developing trust with your body. We got ourselves into this mess because we stopped trusting our body. We stopped trusting that it could digest, that it could build muscle, that it could be the right weight. We stopped trusting it. And so we tried to control it. And so now we're sort of coming back into this trust of the body of body. I trust you. I trust that if you're saying I need the baguette right now, I'm going to eat the baguette. I'm trusting that process because your body has an innate wisdom within it. We just haven't been listening to it. So if you are fearing this going crazy with food, do things to develop a relationship with your body so that it's not this like unknown thing anymore. You um, sent me, I asked you like, what are some questions that are going to be on here? (laughs) And you sent me one of the questions is um, why do women in particular, why are we not at peace with our body? And I think it's because we have never been in our body. We have never explored it, really come to understand what it is, what it likes. We've just been constantly told either from parents or teachers or the diet diet gurus, celebrities, all these people about what we should eat, how we should move, what we should be doing for exercise, all these things that we've never actually just like listened to our body and tapped into sort of its wisdom and the divine nature of this thing that we live in. Mm-hmm. And so that, I mean, that right there is just sort of an answer to a lot of the problems. And if you're fearing going crazy with food, you got to slow down, mm-hmm. slow down, develop a healthy relationship to food and body. And when you're slowing down, it's really hard to overeat. 
I had this client who was obsessed with Taco Bell. She would go every single day to go get a burrito crunch wrap supreme, I think is what it was called. Yeah. And she came to me and she's like, I'm just so out of control and I have to eat it and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, okay, so here's the thing. I'm not going to take away your burrito crunch wrap supreme. But what I want you to do is I want you to spend 30 minutes eating the uh, burrito. And she's like, okay, all right. So she came back to me two weeks later. I'm like, okay, so how did the experience go with just taking your time, eating, savoring the food, um, really noticing the different tastes and textures, how it makes you feel. I was like, how did that go? She's like, oh, I don't know. I tried it one time and I couldn't even stand the taste. Wow. It's like the second she just slowed down and she listened to her body signals of, do I like this? Does this taste good? She started eating that. She's like, you know what? I realized I feel super bloated after. I realized that the taste isn't that good. It doesn't taste fresh. It doesn't taste wholesome. Yeah. And that was it. That was her solution to this year long sort of addiction to this burrito. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, I was so drawn to you initially because you really mix in mindfulness with all of your teaching and what you share with us on social media, which I really love. Um, So I want to backtrack for a second and talk about how you got into wellness in general and what your journey has been like to get to where you are now. Mm, um, I'll try and make it short, but give good information. Uh, My journey started when I was eight years old and I developed this thing called vitiligo, which is this condition where I get white spots on my skin. So it's sort of, if you're familiar with what Michael Jackson had, Michael Jackson had vitiligo. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I grew up with this spotted skin, which definitely impacted my self-esteem growing up. And I felt very different and very secluded from everyone else. And I remember one day in sixth grade, sitting down on a bench, watching everyone at recess play. And I remember thinking, if my skin isn't perfect, my body has to be. And then 14 years of eating disorders started. Mm. Um, I delved into anorexia and then orthorexia, which is a fixation on healthy eating, um, exercise addiction. So just so many different varieties of just disordered eating. And that really is where my journey began. Um, and this is why I do the work I do now, because I have so much empathy for those girls who are struggling with feeling confident in their body, who are struggling with all these messages of diet culture and the inspiration that they see everywhere. Um, I know you just rolled your eyes. I'm like, yes, it, it gets to all of us, mm-hmm. even me as someone who is quote unquote thin and fit, like it gets to me and it has me second guessing my body, like my precious, gorgeous, beautiful body. And then I start nitpicking it of like, ah, well, why, why don't I have six pack abs? Why don't I have a thigh gap? And it took many years of training to be like, I don't have that because my body is not happy with that. Mm -hmm. And I'm so happier weighing what I weigh now, having a period, being able to have kids, you know, in the future, being able to go out with friends and eat food and travel the world and not be so fixated on just what I'm putting in my mouth and how many, how many steps I took or how many hit workouts I did that week. Like I'm so much happier now. So I really, really struggled for many, many years. It was a long, long, long battle of 
going up and down in weight with my body, going from diet to diet, ask me any diet. And I swear I've been on it. I was a <laughs> diet junkie. Um, and yeah, the last little bit of my eating disorder was really disguising this quest for health and well-being and um and just being fit with disordered eating. And I think a lot of people out there, especially in the wellness industry, they are using this, oh, well, I want to be healthy, this sort of mentality to really just hide this underlying fear of I am so what's the word? They're just so fearful. I know what you mean. Yeah. Because it's kind of, it's a, it's a thing where you want to look like the healthiest person if you're going to be representing wellness. And we've been trained to think that healthy is thin six pack like this, you know, and I can definitely understand why that is such a problem in our industry. And it's very ironic, actually. It's funny. I also want to be ironic. I look at so many girls on their page and they're like, Oh my gosh, look at me. And I'm at fault. I'm I'm, I'm not going to lie. I've been at fault for this myself. Oh yeah. Um, Same. But it's like, you put up this picture of you and your six pack abs. And I'm like, you know, that's so disingenuous because I know you don't have a period with your past history of eating disorders, with your low body fat percentage. And with like you being a raw vegan, like I know that your bones are brittle. Your hair's got to be sort of falling out. You can tell your hair looks like not as voluptuous as it should. And it really sucks because then other girls see it and they're they're wanting to be that they're wanting to achieve those same results. When in reality, someone may quote unquote, look good or be surviving for a little bit. But trust me, after 10 years of no period, I got diagnosed as menopausal at the age of 24. Like what the heck? That's not okay. That's Mm -hmm. not okay. Um, and it's unfortunate that that is definitely promoted in this day and age. Definitely. And I want to kind of sidetrack too onto what we were talking about or what you were saying about inspiration and having that kind of around us. And and Instagram is definitely a continuation of that when we're following all these influencers and models and we're getting this image of super thin, that's super beautiful. So how do you manage your Instagram so that what you're looking at feels really good? Have you had a struggle with balancing social media and mental health or how's that been for you? I think I've just gotten personally to the place where I'm like, I don't fucking care what any other single person looks like or does. Um, I really just care about how I feel. And that comes from, again, just living for years in such an unhealthy body where I really, I don't desire anyone else's body size or shape or anything right now, because I'm like, I I don't want to try and force my body to be anything else, but what it is right now. That took a lot of work uh, for my clients, for sure. I tell them, anyone who has you second-guessing eating, anyone who has you bashing on your body, anyone who makes you feel jealous, mm. yeah. And a good person, a good person to follow is someone who elevates you mm-hmm. and who makes you feel better about yourself, who gives you permission to be more authentic. And that's what I really try on my page. You'll see me. I never have makeup. I'm all my pictures are seriously like I put up my phone. I do one picture, one little timer, you know, do a picture, just came back from the gym, messy hair, all of that, non-edited. Like I, I'm just real with people. 
Love it. And you want to be following those type of people if you're on social media. The ones that are just authentic, they're real. They're not putting up a show, not saying that you shouldn't wear makeup. That's totally yeah. fine. Or that you shouldn't get dressed up. Um, but it's you can tell when someone's hiding from something when they do those things. Yeah. And you, you can read it in your, in your photos and your imagery that it's just literally you. It's just this kind of frequency that comes off of you, which is so refreshing. And I'm trying to get to, I finally was able to just do like a detox on Instagram of everybody that didn't feel like was serving me and my highest self, if you will. Um, and just kind of wiped all that out. And I feel so much better using it now. And I feel a lot more confident and just putting out a little more realness. But yeah. I love that. For people who are really struggling with their body, I say completely get rid of it. Delete it. You don't need it. Mm-hmm. And this is coming from someone who's built her whole business on this. I rely on people going on social media to get clients and all of that. But I'm the first person to tell people to get off of it. Mm-hmm. I would get off of it if I had a choice. I'm really trying to build my business. It's I have been able to share, I hope, a good positive message on it. But in the end of the day, I want people to be more present in their life, more present with what is actually going on with their community, the people around them. That's when we heal. We don't heal from watching someone's story on how to make granola or do, you know, this next hit workout on Instagram. That's not healing in any way. Sure, we can go on it, it can be entertainment, whatever. But what is healing is being in your kitchen with a group of your friends, making dinner and sitting down together with candles and music and enjoying the food. Mm-hmm. Like that is life, people. And it's time we step back into it. Mm-hmm. So if you're struggling with food, if you're struggling with body, Honestly, the solution is to just stop fixating on all this stuff, which social media has us fixate on. I want you to get back in your life. Make your life juicy. Make it so good that you don't care what anyone else is doing. You don't care what they look like. Yes, absolutely. It's all about that confidence building. So now I want to talk to you about veganism. And have you, have you um, been vegan before? And did you transition out of it? Or what was that like? Um, yeah. So I told you I was excited to talk about this. Um, (laughs) yeah, I was vegan for many years. Um, I don't know exactly how many, but the first time I went vegan was when I was 14. That sort of what got me into my eating disorder there. Um, and then I came in and out of, you know, recovery and going back to eating just regular and then back to veganism and, the last time I was vegan, I was vegan for, I know, at least three years. And towards the end of it there, my body just completely fell apart. Completely. That's when I got diagnosed with um, early menopause. My vitamin A, my vitamin D, my B12, I was getting tingling sensations in my hands and my feet. My hair started falling out. I wasn't having my period Um, I wasn't sleeping well. I found towards the end there of veganism that I was binging so much and it wasn't for emotional reasons. It wasn't for stress. It really was like my body wanted food, but unfortunately all I was giving it was carbs. And so it just wanted more and more and more carbs. So five, six bars of chocolate and a whole loaf of bread later, and I'm still starved. And it finally got to the point where I was like, whoa, like, (laughs) this is not healthy. 
Mm -hmm. I don't care how much other people are saying that this is healthy. This is not healthy. My body needs substance. It needs things to build. I had detoxed for so long. And that's really just where I see veganism right now is it can be a good detox. It Mm -hmm. can help people cleanse. Um, Plants are very cleansing and detoxifying. Unfortunately, in our world, we think that detoxifying is so great and we need to be doing all the time. And that unfortunately is just not true. We need to be detoxing a little bit, sure. But it's a balance. We need to be building. So eating a diet that is only plants is going to be very detoxifying and it's not going to give you the building blocks, say cholesterol, which is the building blocks for all of your sex hormones. It's not going to be giving you that. Um, And so that's when you will start deteriorating, which a lot of people who have been on the vegan diet, they start deteriorating after even sometimes just a couple months. But especially at that two, three year mark is when you really, really see a lot of people just have severe declines in their health because their body detoxed so far and they don't have enough building blocks. So with the whole veganism thing, I really caution people to to really do their research about things and to not to not jump into these sort of trendy fad things. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because veganism they paint it with such a pretty picture. You're saving the world, you're saving the planets, you're going to be cancer free and heart disease free and all of that. But honestly guys, it's a bunch of propaganda. And we have to open our eyes and see that there is propaganda for the vegan movement. It's there. Um, And it's been pushed by a lot of these vegan doctors that I followed for years and I believed in. But at the end of the day, no single civilization on the face of the planet has ever survived on a fully vegan diet. Mm -hmm. And that's something that has to make us, whoa, step back and look at this and be like, okay, this veganism thing, it's an experiment. Mm-hmm. There have been civilizations like in um, India who's done vegetarianism, but they do a lot of ghee. They're doing eggs. They're doing milk. You know, and that that can really save you. Um, but as far as completely plant based, yeah, it didn't really exist. Yeah, um, and so I think that's something we really need to look at. Re evolved around eating meat and eggs. I think I typed in for one of my clients the other day. She's like, I don't know. I'm fearful about eating eggs. And I was like, okay, please type into Google. Like how long have we been eating eggs? And it said 6 million years. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I think we have evolved to being yeah. able to digest and eat eggs. This yeah. isn't something that we need to fear or the cholesterol is too much. It's like, yeah. And every single cell in your body has cholesterol. So why are we fearing cholesterol? Right. Yep. So this is a controversial topic because I know a lot of people get sensitive about this for two points mostly. Um, and I am not vegan. I, I kind of went through the same thing where I was like totally sold on it being save the world. This is going to be good for you. And then I just didn't feel good. So I don't eat a vegan diet anymore. I eat anything. Um, so let's talk about how people are going to react when they are vegan and they're thinking, well, this is the number one cause of global warming and the compassion to animals kind of side, like how do we, um, you know, confront those topics? Um, yeah. So one fact check, um, you look at cowspiracy. If you Google and you type in like all the things wrong with cowspiracy, you will find so many people going and, uh, rebuttaling all of those points that they made. So, I think we really need to 
look into the science deeper and be listening, not to these people who have the agenda, who's making all these documentaries, but be listening to the people who study this for their living. Mm-hmm. The actual scientists who are looking at it. Um, and we need to really ask ourselves, are cow farts really the cause of our global warming? I think there is way bigger issues. And according to my research that I've done, there are way bigger issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems like the deforestation to hold the livestock is what's really causing a huge issue. Um, but I, I noticed that, that you... Mon- yeah. cropping though. Yeah. Monocropping is destroying our planet. Huge crops of corn, soy, and wheat. And who's that going to feed? What do vegans eat? Corn, soy, wheat. Um, so monocropping is huge. And I think understanding too, we have this idea of let's just turn every um, piece of you know land that we have into things that we can grow things on. That It doesn't work like that. I work on our... And on, Sorry, I work on an organic farm Uh and I understand how farming works and you can't farm in every single type of soil and land. It doesn't work like that. You need a specific type of soil with a specific type of irrigation and how it works and all that for you to be able to grow plants. You also need animals because animals poo on the ground and that fertilizes our soil. Um, So I think that there's just, there's a lot more than we can see. And it's so easy to just like, oh my gosh, yes, we're killing the world. It's like, okay, we really need to take a step back and really understand this. And I think the whole thing with the animal rights and all of that, I'll definitely say this, feedlots, completely against, I will never support that. I do not support that animal cruelty. I think it is so wrong. So I'm right there with you vegans. Um, and I'm really thankful that they are the ones sort of bringing up, uh, this awareness, but I think in our society in general, we have become so disconnected from nature that we don't see ourselves a part of this animal kingdom anymore. Mm. We're so disconnected that we we don't understand this symbiosis or the symbiology of us and animals. Animals eat animals. Things eat each other. Things die. It's a part of life. And we can't be so in... We're so sensitive in this day and age. Like we're so politically correct with everything. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And then now it's, oh, the poor chickens. And yes, I get it. They're a living animal, but it's like, wow, we're so disconnected with death and we fear death so much. And I think a lot of vegans, they fear that. Mm. And that's a really strong energy in your body to fear death. This thing that's innate, it's natural. It happens. And you know, I wouldn't look at a lion and go, oh my gosh, bad lion, you ate the deer. Like, how dare you, lion? That's so bad. The lion needs something to eat. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, how, it's how this world goes. And we're not bad. We're not morally bad for killing. And yeah. I know that sounds harsh and I know a lot of vegans are going to hate me right <laughs> now. But listen up, this is how we've survived. Yeah. Like, are here we are sitting here me and you because our ancestors were good hunters point blank no arguing with that Mm -hmm. um 
Yeah. And I think too, it's like about how we get to know our food. So there's something pretty disturbing about knowing that our meat is coming from like, you know, a machine, like a huge system where they're just like herding cattle into the machine, which is really disturbing. But when you're working on a farm, like you are an organic farm and you're seeing how the animals are raised and taking care of what the animals are eating, it kind of feeds into this more uh, secular view of it. So maybe it's about educating ourselves a little bit more and choosing where we get our food more consciously. And I think you're spot on with that. Um, And we need to be supporting the farmers who are trying to do organic produce. We're trying to do pasture-raised livestock. Um, And those animals, and again, I've seen it personally. I'm actually looking out right now at my chickens. I have like... 15 chickens in my backyard and I'm looking at them. They're eating all the kale right now. Um, They're beautiful, healthy animals. Yeah. They're great. And when time comes, yes, we will kill them. And then we will, we'll eat them for our nourishment and our, and our sustenance. Yeah. Um, And so finding farmers who are allowing the animals to have a good life, Mm -hmm. who Mm -hmm. are letting them eat their natural food, be in their natural habitat. Mm-hmm. We're working one-on-one. I mean, that's when we start developing a healthy relationship with it. Not this fear of, oh, I can't stand that. I'm going to like not support that. It's like, no, let's, let's build a healthy relationship with this thing. Yeah. This thing called, yes, we eat animals. Um, and there's a lot of amazing farmers who are going out there and they're creating amazing products, great eggs, great milk. I drink raw milk personally from an organic farm. And I literally could tell you the name of the cow that I get it from. Yes. Oh my God. Love that. The babies, what I love is the babies are drinking the mama's milk. Mm -hmm. We're not taking the babies away. We're not, you know, splitting the mama apart from her calf. The, The calf gets the milk. And then once the calf is grown, calf starts eating grass we continue milking the mama. Mm -hmm. And when you love your animals like that, you really start to realize that it's like my chickens, you know, I go into their coop and they literally come and they all run around me. (laughs) Chickens just running up to me. They love me. I love chickens. They're so smart. They're so sweet and smart. Yeah. But it's like, I go and then I get their, I get their, their eggs that they're just laying there and it's, you watch them and they're looking at you take their eggs and it's their gift. It really is their gift. And you can tell that they're sort of just like, yes, yes, yes. Take this. They don't sit on their eggs. I've never seen them sit on their eggs or try and hatch anything. They're literally just laying. And again, that's, that's the beautiful side of it. And we're so disconnected that we don't see that because now we're just shopping in these huge supermarkets and we see this huge, Yeah, I have to admit it can be very ugly sort of meat section wrapped in plastic and all of that. But that's not what I'm advocating here. Mm-hmm. I'm advocating that we go to those farmers and we get their organic meats and we don't support, yeah, this awful system, um, but that we do support the system that's trying to do regenerative farming, which again, our world cannot survive without it. So yeah, exactly. Yeah, I grew up I with chickens. <laughs> oh, I grew up with chickens like you have now. And you would think that it would make me not want to eat the chickens or like not want to eat eggs, but I'm so there with you. Like we loved our chickens. We kept them really as pets until they died naturally, but we ate their eggs every morning and it was amazing. Mm-hmm. And now, um, I, I like cannot eat an egg that is not completely free range organic. 
I mean, you can tell the difference between a caged chicken egg and non. It's just horrendous. It's really, it's really different. But yeah, it's all about mindfulness with it. It's so interesting. It's um, all about yeah. mindfulness. Yeah. And then just really, if there are any vegans here, I just, from my experience of having so many vitamin deficiencies, um, with me being someone, I do have to say, I ate super well, whole foods, plant-based. I'm not eating the vegan donuts over here. I'm eating sweet potatoes, dates, avocados, all this. I was eating a good amount. Um, and I was supplementing and I still, um, I still was severely deficient in a lot of things. So really educate yourself on vitamin A and the difference between beta carotene that comes from carrots and then retinol, which comes from like liver way different when your body will synthesize it differently. Um, so just really do your research. If you are going to continue on the vegan path, uh, make sure you're getting correct supplementation and getting your blood drawn so that you can make sure that you're not, um, you're not really doing a lot of harm to your body. Mm-hmm. And tell me a little bit more about your mindfulness practice. Do you have a meditation or mindfulness practice that, that kind of keeps you in check or what's your approach to that? I really choose to bring instead of, I don't do a sitting down meditation practice. Mm-hmm. Um, I will be very blunt with that. I don't, <laughs> uh, maybe one day I'll get into it. I have before, but right now I don't. But through my yoga practice and my previous meditation practice, I've developed the ability to just bring that mindfulness and that presence and that calm and that peace to my every single action and movement in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that cutting sweet potatoes, that's meditation. When you're really there and you're present with it, I mean, it's really all about just being in the moment, really feeling what it feels like to breathe. What does your belly feel like? What do your feet feel like on the ground? And that's something that we can be doing 24 Mm seven. And I think a lot of people are really thrown off by this idea of, I have to spend 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night, like doing my meditation. And people are really scared by that. And Mm -hmm. I think, great. You don't necessarily have to do that. Yeah. But what I want you to do is to really be training your brain constantly to be here and to be present mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and to evoke this mindfulness into your whole day. Yeah, definitely. I do one. I kind of in the same way. I think it depends on everybody's personality type too. I tend to be like a little anxious. So, and I need to let myself run with my thoughts a little bit. So if I do sit, I, I don't try to like shut the, the thoughts down and just kind of let them run. And then when I feel like getting up, I'll get up where I might not do it for a few days and then I sit down, but um, I'm always interested to hear about what, what people's mindfulness practices are because you are so present and conscious in your choices. So I really appreciate that. Do you sell your food at the, yeah. Um, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say one of my biggest things too, of my quote unquote meditation practice is I call them God walks and I'm not even religious, but I call them God walks because I used to be, and that used to be my time that I spoke to God and I would literally just walk for a good hour, bare feet if I can on the beach. And just, I talk out loud. Like I literally do. I, I close my mouth when I'm walking by someone, but then I go and I'm really just expressing like, Oh, and then this is what's happening. And what if I feel this way? And that has been the most therapeutic beneficial thing for me. And so I still call it my God walks and I make sure I get at least two to three of them 
a week, honestly, mm. into my life. Cause that's my time to be with no phone, to be with nobody else. And to really just be me and God or the universe or life, whatever you want to call it. Great spirit. That's just my time to really just work through my mental processes. And I do that really well when I'm moving. So more of mm. a, I'm a moving meditation type of girl and not a sit still. Yeah. It's like earthing. It's like grounding. And I oh, think yeah. you, you put it in one of your other posts too, about um, eating animal products as a way to secure our root chakra and keep us grounded mm-hmm. to the earth to keep our systems really naturally in sync, which I thought was a really good way of putting it and made it make yeah. more sense. When, when I was vegan, I was up in the clouds. <laughs> I feel like a lot of vegans are, we're very, we're almost lightheaded in some aspects. Um, you're not really cognitively thinking that well. Now that sounds really mean, but hear me out. Your brain, because you don't have all of this nutrition yet, you're very airy. Um, So once I started incorporating animal products back into my diet, I just felt like, like I was just grounded. Like I felt connected. I was eating dense things. I mean, the monks, the Tibetan, Tibetan monks, what were they eating? Plant-based diets. Yeah. Cause they were trying to elevate into Nirvana. But here's my thing. I'm not trying to elevate into nirvana. I'm trying to experience right here and right now. So I want to be eating these grounding foods um, mm-hmm. that are going to sort of bring me back to right here, right now. Yeah, absolutely. I have a weird situation. I can't eat any seafood, period. And I wonder what that's about. That might just be a mental block that I have to get through. But I haven't eaten seafood since I was a, a little kid. <laughs> just going off on a tangent just thinking like that's kind of intuitive eating, but I wonder if something's blocking me. Maybe it's too watery for you. Yeah. I have a water size so too much water. (laughs) (laughs) But a lot of it does have to do with childhood. A lot of us don't like fish and maybe it was forced upon you and it just tastes fun. That's that's fine. Where's your uh, history from your culture? Well, I'm from Maine, which is funny. We're like seafood central. So, I mean, we've got lobster traps. I grew up on the water, like all of that. Ancestor-wise. Oh, let's see. I'm German, um, Scottish, and English. Hmm. Yeah, and they do do quite a bit of fish. Mm -hmm. I find that depending on where people are like from, ancestrally also has a big play in what they like. Me personally, my body thrives on butter and cheese and bread. And if you can't guess, my mother is French, so... (laughs) I swear why, why I really thrive on that type of stuff. My ancestors have been eating that type of stuff for decades. Yeah. Um, so I'm doing really well on the dairy products. Some of my Asian clients, they don't, they don't mm. do well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just, you know, going back to sort of just ethnicity. That's such an interesting observation. So, so true. And now I'm interested to, to know about how your parents brought you up and like, what did they teach you about food and how did you approach food in, in the household? I'm really lucky. Um, I don't know how I ended up struggling so much with how lucky I was in regards to food. Um, like I said, my mom is French. And so I grew up in a very French household. I live in uh, Southern California, but 
my mom, she would make a, I'm not even kidding. She had six kids and it was a four course meal every single night, like candlelight dinner. Um, we had like two different plates, sometimes two different forks. Um, and we ate really well. So I grew up eating lamb tagines with roasted fennel and, um, bread and cheese with pears drizzled in a homemade chocolate sauce. And mm. like, that was like our go-to thing. Um, I remember my favorite food when I was like eight years old was like Brussels sprouts with soft boiled eggs. Like it was just <laughs> so French. Really well, my so French. I know my family is very natural, and we're very healthy. When I look back at my family history, all of us just died from old age. I'm like, there's hardly any <laughs> heart disease or cancer or anything in my ancestral family. Um, and my immediate family is just, we're healthy, we're active, we're connected and we're grounded to nature. That mm -hmm. is one thing my whole, you know, I live on this large property and we got the, our garden that we're growing. We got outdoor kitchens, outdoor showers. Like we love being outdoors. We love surfing. We love being in nature. Um, so I grew up in a very healthy household, um, with a very healthy, relationship to food. My mom doesn't restrict, you know, if she wants a chocolate pastry, she'll get the chocolate pastry. My mom's only thing was if you're going to splurge and do it right. So like, don't eat the Hershey's bar, like go out and get the nice dark piece of chocolate. So grew up with that healthy relationship and healthy understanding of good food, good, wholesome food. But I also grew up with three brothers who ended up picking on me a lot. And I think that's where a lot of my sort of disordered eating came from was when I started growing up into my womanly body and getting curves and having an appetite. And my brothers used to call me lunchbox because I would just eat so much. Oh. And I don't want to blame them. I love my brothers. <laughs> They're great. But um, that definitely had a big play into it. Um, so oh. healthy family just some mean, nasty older brothers. I love them now. We're best friends, yeah. but I, I definitely got teased. And so I think that's where a lot of the disordered eating started as well. But mm -hmm. yeah, those, but yeah little, those little things stick with us. They do. Mm -hmm. But I do have to say, because this will help other people. What pulled me out of it though, was my sister who had an amazing relationship to food. She has an amazing relationship to her body. She's never restricted. She's never, you know, over-exercised or had this thing. She's just a generally a healthy person. And I clung onto her during my recovery. And so that's my advice to anyone who is struggling with food. Find those good role models who are just rocking it in their body. And I'm not talking about the girls who are having the six pack abs. I'm talking about the voluptuous, vivacious women who have curves and who are owning it. Like I, I look back at my friends that I had in college and like all of them were these very powerful women because that was just what I needed. That was my medicine was to see how powerful and strong they were in their body. Um, and that helped me be okay with gaining weight. It helped me understand like, ah, confidence, sexiness, that doesn't come from six pack abs because these women are damn confident and they're so damn sexy and they don't have any of that. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All about the confidence. And what are you reading right now? Do you have any books that are at the top of your list? Yes. Um, I'm reading, um, Alan Levanowitz. It's called the gluten lie. And this book is 
fascinating. I'm only at the beginning, so I can't say too much, but I've listened to a bunch of his podcasts. He is this um, religious theologian. So he studied, or he studies religion. And he wrote this book about the sort of correlation between religious dogma and food dogma. And really interesting, like he's talking about these monks back, you know, thousands of years ago, they used to tell the people, you can't eat these five grains. And if you want clear skin, you need to eat this expensive supplement that you can buy from me. And if you do this and this and this with your diet, then you will levitate and you will go into nirvana. And it's like, all right, so fast forward to this day and age. If you go keto, if you go paleo, if you buy this expensive spirulina supplement, like X, Y, and Z will happen. Um, so it's really just fascinating um, hearing sort of how we have turned food sort of, sort of into this religious thing of this is going to be what saves me. Mm. And my eternal salvation is rested upon me eating broccoli. And that's where the sort of the sinfulness comes in of like, I'm a bad person for eating the chocolate cake or, you know, we'll say, oh, it was sinfully good. And it's like, oh, this sort of mentality has really crept up into our diet culture. So that was the gluten lie by Alan Levonowitz. And it's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah. It's so rooted in shame, all of this stuff. It's just got to be rewired and reworked out of ourselves. Well, and that's from the beginning of time. Yeah. Adam and Ruth, they're in the garden. They're perfect. They're connected to God. There's no death. There's no illness. Then what does Eve, the woman, go and do? She goes and she bites into the forbidden fruit, aka she eats. And then all of a sudden, there's all this shame, shame of her body. She hides herself. And now they're susceptible to disease, to illness, to death. They're far away from God, from salvation. And so this is a story that in this Western culture, we have been told over and over again, even if you're not Christian, you know the story of Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting when we really sort of just dive into that of like, wow, the correlation that is here with woman eats food, woman is bad. This is something shameful. Mm -hmm. I mean, this has been indoctrinated into us for a long, long time. Um, So this this isn't our story that we're carrying. If you're struggling with food, this isn't your story. This is our society, our cultural story. We're all dealing with this. You've just adopted it. It's not your story. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me of, you know, something I had to kind of work out in my brain was when I was having these shameful feelings and thoughts, I would have to ask myself, like, who is speaking? Is it you or is it society or is it you or is it, you know, this shadow version of you that's been created by, you know, what you think is right? That's such a good reminder. Is there a mantra that you have or a piece of wisdom that you kind of keep in your back pocket that you pick up once in a while? Um, I went to go see a hypnotherapist when I was really struggling. And one of the mantras that came out of that, that still just is stuck in my head was every day in every way, I'm getting better, better and better. Perfect. And it just, it, it just replays in my head and it takes the pressure off of today being perfect. Mm-hmm. It's not about getting it perfect. And this is why my whole business is flow with clo. 
it's not about perfectly getting things right. It's about flowing, dancing with life. Just we go up, we go down. It's a natural flow. I don't even like the word balance because balance for us type A people, we try and like, how do I perfectly balance like between hamburgers and kale? How do, what's the so yeah. it's all about flow. It's all yeah. just about, you know, yeah, there's periods of times where you're eating way more veggies. There's periods of times where you're eating way more hamburgers and french fries. It's a flow. It's a balance. And the more we can learn to dance with life, the better it gets. It's when we get attached to it has to be this way. That's when we make all these sort of energetic blocks in our body. We block the flow, aka we block the life force, the energy, the love from going in, out, and around our body. And that's when disease is created. So every day in every way, you're getting better, better, and better. And you're just flowing and dancing with life. And I think that has been by far what has helped me through so much. Yeah. Oh, that's a really good one. And to end on a lovely note, where can people find you so that they can work with you or learn more about you? Yeah, definitely. Um, I love Instagram. I am there every day. I've <laughs> built healthy boundaries with myself on it, but I am there every day posting. So that is Flow with Chloe, F L O W W I T H C H L O, Flow mm-hmm. with Chloe, and then flowwithchloe.com. And yeah, the best way to get in contact with me, I answer every single one of my DMs. So if you message me or if you email me, I'm right there. And if you have any questions, like I, and I'll do it for just for fun, for free. I love just, I'll, I'll talk with you for a little bit. Let me help you out. You know, not everyone has to turn into a client, but I really believe that everyone deserves to get this information Mm -hmm. and to start loving their body and stop just living life stuck. Yeah. Oh, I love that. You're such a cool person. I'm so glad I got a chance to talk to you. I just already learned so much from you in an hour. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me on. All right. And thank you so much for listening. I hope that you picked up on something new that will help you down the line. And if you did, I would love to know what that might be. You can leave a review. Um, you can leave a comment on Instagram. Uh, my page is at We Are Lifted, and Chloe's is at Flow with Chloe. I'll link those in the show notes. And my website is HelenDenham.com. So you can find more information there as well and find more podcast episodes. Have a beautiful rest of your day, guys, and I'll catch you on the next one.